hey, welcome to the new and improved podcast. You'd be able to see that some of the branding has changed. We've obviously changed the podcast title from Metaverse Marketing Mastery to The Growth Club with me hosting, of course. The podcast cover has also changed. If you've listened to any of my previous episodes, you would know that it was a darker color and I've changed it to a little bit more of a lighter and more fun type of color. Another thing that has changed would be the fact that I am also going to share a little bit of a different range in content, I would say. Previously, I used to focus solely on strategy and Web3 strategy, to be exact. And now I'm going to move into actually doing strategy as well as lifestyle content because a lot of the things that are actually involved in launching projects, launching businesses is actually not all about strategy. Often you find that it's a lot to do with mentality, how your life affects you, things like that. So I wanted to group all of that together. So now instead of focusing on specifically Web3 marketing and launching projects within that industry, we're going to be talking about the largest scope of marketing in general and also growth topics, of course, hence the name of the podcast. Essentially why I kind of wanted to do this was as a human, you are quite multifaceted. So there's lots of different sides to you. And I was only sharing a specific area of interest and my areas of interest are relatively broad. So I wanted to be able to talk about all of the different components of interest in relation to growth and also reach a greater number of people because after some of the things that I was experiencing at the end of last year and some of the great impacts that it had on me, I realized that I needed to shift something basically. Some change needed to happen. And to explain that, I actually need to get into the topic of today's episode where I have gone from broke to six figures in six months. But before I get into that, I actually need to preface this by letting you know that that period of six months was essentially a tipping point. And what I mean by that is kind of like the concept that is in one of the books by Malcolm Gladwell and is also referenced to in Atomic Habits, where a series of events accumulate so frequently or so much in a specific direction that you're going, that you reach a certain point where the momentum kicks off, where your growth is exponential. So in my case, Instead of a series of habits, it would have been a series of actions and also a series of experiences and the knowledge that I was gaining that accumulated to that point in my life where I experienced that six months of crazy, crazy amounts of change. So to get into all of that, let's go right to the beginning. And by beginning, I mean how I graduated high school. I was very creative. I loved art. It was something that was always in the background within my family. My dad was an artist, so he actually studied that at university. So I always had a love for art, but eventually it got to the point where I fell out of love of making art itself. I did not want to touch paint. I didn't want to mold clay. I Something about it didn't seem as practical anymore. And I think this was the more business end of myself developing where I wanted something a little bit more practical, possibly a little bit more analytical. Maybe that's not the right word, but I needed the creative end to be balanced with some kind of business end, which I wouldn't have at that moment called it business, but 
Looking back now, that's what I was seeking, but I did not know it was that at the time. But as you do, I was swayed by my parents trying to convince me that I needed to do a job that was stable, safe, paid well, etc., etc. All the good intentions which swayed me. And also, I wouldn't say that it was their fault because I did not know exactly what I wanted to do myself. And that is a thing with not knowing what you want. If you do not know what you want, you will get swayed by what other people want from you. And if you're more concrete on what it is that you want for yourself, if other people bring up something that is in a different direction to where you believe you should be headed, then it would actually register in your head to not go in the direction that they're suggesting. But if you haven't set that in stone yet, then you obviously get easily swayed. So that was kind of the situation I was in. Everyone was going to university. It was very normal. So I went to university and because my grades were relatively good, I ended up going to medical science with the aim of moving into medicine. I would say I honestly loved studying anatomy. It was fun, but the only thing I didn't actually like was the research end of it, (laughs) which is a large component of the degree that I was doing. And that was very, very dry to me. Learning, understanding about the human body, the physiological aspects of it, they were all great, to be honest. It was just actually having to research and the process. You go into the lab, you have to write down your research you have to write down your findings. And my experience of university was, or college, as they call it in some countries, was just not how it's made out to be in the movies. It was not fun for me. I used to go to the library by myself to sit there, do whatever I needed to do, get the work done for the day, and basically just be alone and then go home. So that was me, the majority of... (laughs) my degree. And I ended up actually dropping out with two subjects left to finish. So that is not even one full semester. It would have been a part-time semester and I dropped out, but not in a cool way because I dropped out thinking that I may possibly come back. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I would say I had the full intention to come back and finish my degree because that gave me some kind of solace knowing that I can just go back and finish it because I didn't exactly know what I was going to do when I put my degree on hold. And the main reason I was putting that degree on hold was because I was really miserable there. And I guess it kind of reached a point where I wasn't sure what the point of finishing those last subjects were when I was so miserable. So I thought, hey, I don't not want to finish those two subjects because it feels like such a waste that I've done my whole degree minus those two. But also I was so miserable to the point that it seemed ridiculous for me to keep going into class and not show up as much as possible, but show up the bare minimums so that I would just be able to pass and absorb enough information to just get by and not fail in those subjects. So I ended up dropping out with no intention of exactly dropping out. I did not cut clean ties. But during that time, what I ended up actually doing was starting a business. That was my first entry into the business world and actually becoming an entrepreneur or starting to take the first baby steps of becoming an entrepreneur. And what I ended up looking into was dropshipping. Now, Dropshipping is great, but what you will find when you do dropshipping is you'll actually see that there is often this 
general store that you create, which is a storefront that has no specific branding. It's a store that allows you to sell multiple different products. So it has no specific branding. And internally, because I was quite creative, it wasn't filling the missing piece for me. I wasn't building a brand. I am a builder at heart because I'm creative. I want to be able to look back and see what I have created and it not just be the financial aspect for me. So what I ended up doing was shifting into creating an e-commerce business. So I was selling physical products and also creating a brand at the same time. Now, when you're bootstrapping everything, you really need to start learning marketing skills firsthand. That was probably my first few steps into actually becoming a marketer. I was doing the marketing operations, so I had to learn marketing as I was going because otherwise the business wouldn't grow. So as those skills were developing, another thing that was, I guess, a little bit problematic was the fact that Given my age, I was still very insecure. I still had a lot of work to do in terms of getting my mentality straight and building it up to a point where I was not insecure and more comfortable in my own skin. So I was, (laughs) funnily enough, when you do business and entrepreneurship, you'll actually realize it's not purely about strategy. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to rebrand. A lot of the things you experience is actually quite emotional. It has a lot to do with your mentality. If you are not confident, if you are not willing to risk certain things, (laughs) it becomes very difficult. It is not just about strategy. And although I'm a marketer, if the person driving the business is not able to keep taking the risks and pushing forward, marketing can only take you halfway. So that was one of the issues I had. And another issue I actually had was I was struggling because like I said, I was bootstrapping everything. So this meant that any money that was coming in to fuel the business was either the money that was coming in from the business itself or the money I had been making through modeling. And the majority of what was actually funding the business was from my modeling career. Modeling was something I initially did when I had graduated high school, but I started doing it again once I started business. And the reason I did that was also in line with me trying to gain more confidence. When I went back the second time, I actually ended up signing with one of the biggest modeling agencies in Australia. So that ended up kicking off my career quite a bit. So I was getting great campaigns. I was traveling overseas. So I really got to see the behind the scenes aspects of launching a business and also the marketing campaigns and a lot of the facets required in a marketing campaign whilst I was learning myself and working on my business. It went on years like this, me surviving with some of the money that was coming in through the business, some of the money that was coming in through modeling and me just fueling it back into the business. And that meant that I was constantly moving in and out of zero dollars in my bank account. So I was moving in and out of being broke to having a little bit of money, broke to having a little bit of money. And After a few years, my living situation had changed where the home I was staying in was actually getting sold. So I needed to start preparing to move out. And because at that time I was hitting zero in my bank account again, I really had to figure out a way to conserve funds. So what I actually did was I looked into a share home and then I ended up moving in there. And if you've seen any of my TikToks on it, (laughs) you would know that the share home was highly unpleasant. But 
Being aware that I was about to move into the share home and have a little bit of a difficult living situation, I knew that I had to figure out something that could break in money with the skill set I had in that moment. Now, I could start another business, but that would require more cash. I was also investing a little bit in cryptocurrencies, looking into shares, but that also requires some money. So I really had to think of how I could be resourceful with what I had and not pre-invest more money to make more money. So the idea that I came up with, which I guess this was where I first started thinking of the concept of selling my skills online, because I had accumulated so much knowledge in marketing from working behind the scenes on my businesses, from working behind the scenes on other people's campaigns, that I thought I could actually use those skills and help other people launch their businesses. Now, at the time, like I said, I was delving into cryptocurrencies. So what that also meant was that I was heavily part of the cryptocurrency community. If you're part of the Web3 community, you would know that it's a very, very niche subset of people who are very, very involved. (laughs) And what I actually did was I, I would find clients through networking and eventually it got to the point where I did not have to look for clients anymore. I was getting referrals from people I knew in the industry. Another thing that really worked well in my favor was the fact that quite a lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry remain anonymous, obviously because it is an industry to do with financials and it is decentralized. So it's kind of common practice to not have your identity be known. So one of the things that I used actually as a point of difference to make sure that I was succeeding in the industry was that I was very upfront with any clients or anytime we had a kickoff call that I would let the client know beforehand that, hey, I really prefer doing a video call with you. I want to do this because I want you to get to know me as well as possible, given we are likely working from (laughs) across the globe. They would be maybe in the US and I'm in Australia. So that's one way that I was very upfront and honest with them from the beginning. And the reason I wanted them to do this was visually, when you see a person, it translates a lot. It translates their character. It translates their aura. You can just tell a lot about a person with how they present themselves, with how they communicate, how they gesticulate. So those type of things I knew were extremely, extremely important for them to see and actually build trust with them from the get-go, given that they were never going to see me ever in person. So that was something that I always advised that I would like to do. They were very much on board, given most people don't like to even (laughs) reveal their identities. They did not know me, so they probably thought it was a great opportunity to get to know me. They also probably saw it as, hey, this person is very upfront and honest, given most of the industry is not. And also when they saw me, I knew they would understand that if we're going to work together, I mean work. I'm going to be professional about this because that's something that is part of my values That is something that is very important to me. And instead of just saying that, I wanted them to be able to see it and for me actually not to have to say it. I just wanted them to understand. So that worked extremely well for me. I ended up getting lots of referrals, like I mentioned, and I did not really have to look for clients because they were finding me. Things were going very, very well, almost 
too well to the point that I knew that ship would crash and sink. And what I mean by that was I was getting so many referrals, so many random clients just coming to me left, right and center to the point that I knew that if I took on one extra client, I was not going to be able to survive. I was waking up at maybe 4am, 5am, getting ready for calls because this client was in, say, the US. And then I would have calls all morning because a lot of my clients were in the US. And then I, in the afternoon, would have to be able to do some work. And then back in the evening, again, my UK clients would wake up and then I would have to work a whole bunch then as well. So basically, from the moment I woke up to the moment I passed out, it was all work. So if I added any extra workload, everything would be burning down into flames. (laughs) It was a time of a lot of learnings. I learned so, so much and built up so many different skill sets, which you would just normally not build up in such a short amount of time. But I hustled my way through it. And sometimes in a period of your career, hustle is required. And I learned so much. I wouldn't actually change anything. Things happen for a reason. And that was a great experience for me. One of the things that I realized during that chaotic period was that I was doing way too many calls. And the reason I was doing way too many calls was the amount of kickoff calls I had to have and the initial period of onboarding a client requires a little bit more calls than you normally would if you had an ongoing client because you would have more of a consistent schedule planned out. But the initial period, clients are a little bit confused. They want some more information or they want to hop on a call again just to clarify something. So I ended up doing calls in abnormal numbers, just more than I had to normally do. And this was extremely, extremely tiring. And I knew I could not just onboard clients myself constantly like this anymore. So one of the things that I ended up shifting to was actually working with marketing agency owners. And the reason I did this was from my time of being in that community, I actually networked quite a bit and met quite a few marketing agency owners who were launching agencies in the space. And With one of them, I ended up helping with just one of their projects. I obviously didn't have to do any onboarding. They did. And I just had to do the one kickoff call. Any confusion they had, they just talked to the agency and I was helping out with work. But with another agency I worked with, I was kind of onboarded as a consultant and marketer. So I ended up taking quite a bit of a higher role and managing the team. But again, the sales, the (laughs) kickoff calls, all those initial messy bits were conducted by someone else. So that was great. But something I was noticing in the practice of the business was a little bit of over-promising and under-delivering, which did not sit well with me given my personality. I would rather just promise what they're going to get and then try to over-deliver. So how the agency was running just did not sit well with me and they were trying to underpay me a little bit and just things like that. So I ended up moving to one of the largest or the largest web theory marketing agency and working with them also and having a few of my own clients, but mostly just working with the marketing agency. And something I realized was that it really isn't the clients. It's just the structure of the marketing agency. If you're working at a marketing agency full time, there is something that you notice in the way that agencies are structured that just 
well, it just didn't sit well with me. So perhaps if I was working with a marketing agency part-time, it would be better. But what ends up happening is as a marketer, you generally end up taking on about five clients. And that means you're communicating with five clients. Each of the five clients likely have multiple different queries. So there was messages coming left, right, and center with clients wanting to know updates or they're confused about certain aspects. They want to understand what you mean in this particular strategy deck. So there's messages popping up anywhere, anytime. And given that Web3 is such a global community, that meant people were working from all over the globe and messages were coming still during the morning, during the evening, just whenever really. So it was quite another bit of a hectic period. So then I realized that it's not actually the clients that are making things difficult. Sometimes it's just the structure of how businesses are that just don't sit well with you. And you won't realize that until you step foot in that situation. So I began to think through how I can help the equal or actually more amount of people in their businesses or in their projects that they're launching in a more scalable manner. So the thought of courses actually occurred through that. And because I was helping launch so many Web3 projects, I actually decided to make that into a course. So that would allow me to create the curriculum of one course on how to actually launch projects, because that's essentially what I was doing with all these marketing agencies. And people wanted to do this, but were confused as to how to do it, or they were too scared because they didn't have these step-by-step plans. So what I wanted to do was actually put that into a course and they would have an A to Z guideline of how they can do it and the exact steps involved. I began to create this course. And whilst I was doing this, I actually had quite a few different people reach out to me and mentioned that they also wanted to sell some digital products and if they could get some help from me. They wanted to know how to not only create the product, but also figure out how to launch the marketing campaign for it, basically. So they wanted some help from me in what I was doing and they were interested because they also knew I was creating a course. So some of them wanted to create ebooks, some of them wanted to create courses, and they wanted my opinion and help from it as almost like a consultant. From that experience, then I also realized that I don't actually have to focus specifically on creating a course that will only help people in Web3. I actually sat down and realized so many people have so many different skill sets, which they could start easily monetizing online. For example, with me, I had that moment where my living situation had changed and I needed to know how I could make some cash from the get-go with just the resources I had without investing too much money up front. And that's where the thought of, hey, I can sell my skill set online, which for me was marketing. But there are so many other people who have skill sets and that could be very, very broad. It doesn't even have to be as complicated as being a CMO or having CMO knowledge. It can be a different form of knowledge. It can be as simple as knitting. It can be as simple as, maybe this is not as simple, but hairdressing. You might already be a social media manager. You might already have clients, but you want to also help other people understand how to grow their social media presence. Just there's so many different skill sets that people have, which they can start monetizing in a more scalable way, which I knew they weren't doing. 
because I certainly wasn't doing it in the beginning. And sometimes it just doesn't click for you until you get to a point where your experiences push you in that direction. So when I realized that, and also when I was noticing that I was getting extremely burnt out from having too many one-on-one clients, I knew I needed a more scalable way to grow my business. That meant that I needed to change my business model so that the main function was through online courses. And if I wanted to have one-on-one clients, I can have a few of them because that would allow me to have more breathing room and actually serve them a little bit better. That's essentially how I ended up here. I mean, there's so many different people who would be able to monetize their skill sets. And essentially, I just want to help them out with that because there's fitness coaches, business coaches, social media managers, marketers, and so many people who are in the service-based business, even chefs, beauticians, who have a skill set which you could monetize by creating a course and letting infinite amount of people know how to utilize the skill set that you do have. So that is what essentially led me all the way here. That was a very whirlwind of events, very (laughs) complicated. I know people's journeys are generally not in a straight line and mine certainly wasn't either. So if that sounds interesting to you, I do have a digital course launch checklist in the show notes. So you can see what steps are involved in the launch process. And by the way, you do not have to have a large amount of followers to successfully sell courses. I mean, take it from me. (laughs) Given most of my career, I have spent it building other people's audiences and not mine. I was always someone who wanted to be behind the scenes as much as possible, although I did modeling. That was for other people's businesses. When it came to me and myself, I did not really like putting myself out there. So take it from me. I don't have too, too many followers and I am still able to do this. So take it from the marketer. Another thing to also consider is that there is a specific edge that comes with having a smaller audience. And usually when people think my audience is too small, it's something to do with insecurities because the matter of the fact is that when you have a small audience, you are more readily responsive. You are able to be a little bit more intimate with your audience. You are able to build trust more easily just because your audience feels more at a similar level to you. Imagine how you feel when you look at someone who has a million followers. It feels a little distant as opposed to say some person has a thousand followers and you have about a thousand followers as well, or maybe you have a few hundred, you just feel like you're more at a friendly level to them and you can build a relationship much better. And the thing about marketing is that it is all about relationships. (laughs) Take it from me, it does have its benefits. It definitely does. Because once you do start growing an audience that is larger, you actually have to tweak a few things. So it becomes a little bit different. But when you still have a small audience, it is very easy to move people down the funnel with relationships and trust. So check out the link if you want to have a look at what steps are involved in launching your own digital course. And thank you for tuning into this episode and listening to what is essentially my whole career story and how I got here and finally figured out what works for me and what doesn't. So I'm glad you could be part of that journey and I will be catching up with you again very, very soon. 